Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Browns Thursday edition. My lame attempt to come up with a clever title for the day before Black Friday. Coming up, my broadcast partner Dave Lapham joins me to look ahead to Sunday's game against the Cleveland Browns, and we'll also discuss some other hot topics, including what Lap thinks the Bengals should have done on 4th and 3 last week with a game on the line in Baltimore. I'll have a locker room conversation this week with tight end C.J. Uzama, and in our Know the Foe segment, we'll talk to Zach Jackson, who covers the Browns for The Athletic, and is always a great guest on our Bengals radio shows. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here is a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since... The Turkey Oven Bag. So if you're listening to this podcast on Thursday morning and plan to cook a giant turkey in the oven without the bag, run to the store right now and get one. In my experience, the meat is more moist, the turkey cooks faster, and perhaps best of all, it makes the cleanup a million times easier. So enjoy the feast and the football. The Bengals have six games left including two against the Cleveland Browns. Over the last few years, facing the Browns meant an easy victory. The Bengals have won the last seven meetings, and most of those games have been blowouts. The closest game was a 13-point win, and the average score in those seven victories was 30-9. to The Bengals are only favored by three at home this Sunday, and it's time to discuss the matchup and much more with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, there are three teams in the NFL, the Saints, Rams, and Chiefs, currently averaging 35 or more points per game. And when the Rams and Chiefs played each other on Monday Night Football this week, the final score was 54-51. to Is that where the NFL is headed, and what constitutes a good defense these days? Man, that's a great question, Dan, but th- that game was historic in so many ways. I mean, the first time a team scored 50 or more and lost in NFL history. That tells you what the NFL is, is about in this era. But when you look at it, there were three defensive touchdowns. 21, 20% of the points were scored by the defense in that football game. So that's what defenses have to do in this era. The Bengals you know, did have scored four defensive touchdowns. Two and one quarter by defensive line were instrumental in the victory over the Miami Dolphins. So you not only have to take it away, you have to take it and score. And, and uh, it's because so many points are going up on the board. And, you know, a guy like Aaron Donald has a dominant performance with two sacks, two forced fumbles, you know, two touchdowns off of those. But And you look at it and you say, how can you say that guy was a great defensive player in that kind of a football game? But when it's track meet like that, if you just interrupt the momentum somehow with a defensive stop, you know, or a takeaway, and then if you get a takeaway score combination, you know, that that's what really is uh, – is necessary almost in, in this era of the National Football League. I mean, it used to be defensive coordinators have goals they put up on the board, and one of them was 17 points or less. That's winning football. That's not the number anymore. That's unrealistic. I think it's probably 24 or less. Lap, a lot of Bengals fans had trouble with Cincinnati throwing the ball to Cody Core on fourth and three at the end of the game in Baltimore. I'll give you my opinion, then I want yours. To me, if he's on the field and he's open, throwing to him – it's not a bad decision. Hit him right in the hands. He's got to catch the ball. 
I think the bigger question is, why is he on the field? Would you have been better off to have Auden Tate out there? That's my opinion. How about you? Yeah, I agree that uh, Andy Dalton, when he looked at the play pre-snap, he saw one-on-one coverage. He saw his guy, Core, working against Humphrey, who's a first-round pick, a great corner. Humphrey held him. You have to fight through it. The ball got on top of Core quicker than he anticipated because he was held and he had to fight through it. I mean, you could see the white in his, uh, the one in his 16 number getting stretched. He fought through it, and by the time he got to, the, to find the ball, it was a lot closer to him than he thought, and it kind of surprised him, I think. But I don't give a damn. <laughs> you got to catch it. That's an NFL throw that's right on the money. You have to be an NFL player and catch that football. He didn't. And, you know, he had, he had another drop this season wide open in the middle of football fields that, you know, now it starts to, is this problematic? But my opinion, Dan, I don't care, Cody Core, Auden Tate. You should have, in that situation, they had second and three, third and three, fourth and three. They started the game with Giovanni Bernard and Joe Mixon on the field because they're their best offensive players. In that situation, you put your best offensive players on the football field. You started the game saying, Mixon, Giovanni Bernard, detach him, use him as a receiver. Do it then. All you need is three yards on one of those plays. In my, in my estimation, to have one of those guys on the sideline for any of those three snaps, and they were on the sideline for all of them, I think it's a mistake. Did not get your best offensive playmakers on the field at a key time in the game. At that point, you're trying to keep the drive alive. I can see, you know, Andy went deep. Uh, he tried to get to Uzama on second down because he thought – this might be my chance to take it. I think it was Ross deep on second down, then, then Uzama on third down. And he thought, you know, I'm, I know I'm four downs, so I'm going to try to take my shot, you know, move it and work on the clock's working against a little bit. But on fourth down, you got to get the first down. So if, the, if you go that route on second and third, fourth down, you got to get your backs in there who are used to running those type of routes. They're your two best. Off- get the ball in your best offensive playmaker's hands. And in, the, in my mind, for that football game, the, the, the way they were down, you know, no A.J., no Malone, whatever, those two guys should have been on the field trying to get the ball in their hands. Let's talk about the Hugh Jackson factor. It's going to be a big story this week. How real is the Hugh advantage if there is one? Yeah, to me, I think, you know, you can gather a lot of information just, you know, taking uh, tape study, film study. And you can get tendencies and percentages. And, you know, there's so much IET information now. And there's so many, you know, different services that are analyzing and overanalyzing. The analytics are, like, off the charts. So you can dive into all that stuff. Where Hugh, I think, becomes a plus is he understands the mindset, the personality, the mentality of the players and the coaches. He was just with them. He just got stabbed in the back by one of them, who's the head coach. You know, the other guy got fired. But, you know, Greg Williams got the head coaching job. And, and I think Greg Williams is a, is a brilliant uh, defensive mind, but I do think Hugh, having worked with, with Greg Williams, will have an idea of what he's thinking and how he's thinking and, and uh, things that go along with it. Greg Williams is already on record saying, we're not going to change all of our calls and all of our language because of Hugh Jackson. And, and I agree with that because I've been in situations where a guy comes from another team and you say, hey, give me some intel. You know, let, me, let me know the calls. You can, you can false call. You can handle that so well. I, I remember being in a game where a uh, defensive player, we, we made a call, but it was a dummy call. And we didn't do what that call dictated based on what the information was given to them by the former teammate of ours. And they were pissed. <laughs> I mean, they went up to that player like, <laughs> so now it's like 
hey, if you're going to cheat on the test, you know, you better make sure, you, you know, you don't want to, you, you, very rarely do you go into game with the answers before the test is given, you know. So in my mind, the best thing to do is line up, read your keys, play defense, line up, read the uh, configuration defensively, block them, don't get over swept away with, you know, oh, I'm trying to pick up the code, crack the code, you know, I know the calls. Don't get hung up on that stuff. I mean, it can be a little bit of a factor, but don't get it so detailed and so, you know, a big a deal in that football game. But, you know, I, I do think overall he knows what bothers Baker Mayfield. He, he coached him. He knows things that could potentially bother him. You know, he knows the type of things that Greg Williams doesn't like to have to defend. I mean, those are the things. You sat in meetings with the coaches. You sat in meetings with the players. You're trying to develop this young quarterback, get him ready to play in the National Football League. Um, so, yeah, that's part of it. The thing, the thing, two things in this game, though, are interesting to me, Dan. And th- this with Baker Mayfield, it's, it's another case of this is the first pick of the draft. Jameis Winston was the first pick of the draft. Didn't go well for Jameis Winston. Hopefully it goes as poorly for Baker Mayfield. But 14 of the 16 games – they're playing against a first-round draft pick at quarterback. 14 of the 16 games. Everybody in the division, they're playing first-round picks. Baltimore had three first-round picks at quarterback, two of them Heisman Trophy winners. When in NFL history has that ever happened? All three of them first-round picks, two Heismans. Playing against another Heisman guy. Jameis Winston, Heisman guy. You know, the only two non-first-round picks, Drew Brees, first pick of the second round, walking into the Hall of Fame. And Denver doesn't have a first-round pick at quarterback. But every other game, first-round pick. I think that's pretty interesting. The other thing in this football game, I can't think of another game where both the head coaches are also the defensive coordinators. I mean, for different reasons. It's a little bit different twist. You know, one head coach is relieved. The coordinator's the interim head coach. But he's the head coach, and he's calling defenses. Marvin Lewis Let's go with his defensive coordinator. He's the head coach. He's calling defenses. I can't remember another game in NFL history where the head coaches were both calling the defenses in the same game. That's very rare. There's a couple of rare things you know, going on in this football game for sure. The Browns have had the number one pick in the draft each of the last two years, Baker Mayfield this year, Miles Garrett last year. Furthermore, they had two first-round picks this year and three first-round picks last year is all of that young talent starting to show i think it is because uh john dorsey the blue collar football guy that worked with ron wolf up in green bay is running the show and he was the beneficiary beneficiary of a lot of cap dollars and a lot of uh, draft picks courtesy of sashi brown in that uh, in company that messed the franchise up but i think they're on the right track they have a guy a football guy that is 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 picking more wisely and soundly in terms of his draft picks, and it's going to be a matter of time. I mean, I think they're going to be they're going to be a, something to be reckoned with. I think Baker Mayfield might end up being a more mobile Drew Brees type guy. I mean, when you look at the game against Atlanta, he went 17 for 20, and uh, and they ran the ball you know down the Atlanta Falcons' throats with Chubb, you know, another pick, third round pick, who is you know he's he's a violent guy. He's a hammer. He runs the ball hard. Their offensive line, the interior of their offensive line, played every snap last year. 
You know, their linebacker, two of their linebackers played every snap last year. Schobert was a walk-on at Wisconsin, who's now first alternate to the Pro Bowl. Baker Mayfield was a walk-on at Texas Tech and Oklahoma. So they like those kind of guys that are proving themselves and are, you know, team guys. And that's, that's what they're trying to build with the character of the football team. I'm telling you, even going back to college days, don't let Baker Mayfield out of the pocket moving to his right. He throws on the run as well as anybody you have to, if you get him out of pocket, you have to make him go left. Make him reset himself, throw back across his body. Do not allow him to go to the right and be fluid with that on-the-run on the throw that he has. He is coffin nails in that area. Sometimes the stats don't add up. The Browns are number two in the NFL in forcing turnovers with 25. Their turnover ratio is plus 12. There are three teams other than the Browns that are plus 10 or better, and they're all in first place, the Rams, the Bears, and the Redskins. So why are the Cleveland Browns 3-6-1? and That's a great question, Dan. I mean, some of it is look at who they played, like the Bengals. They tied Pittsburgh 21-21 in the opener. They, uh, they, They lose to New Orleans, only allowing 21 points to the New Orleans Saints and lose the football game. So they played Pittsburgh. They played New Orleans. Uh, they, they played Baltimore. Beat them in overtime. We know what kind of team Baltimore is. The, team, the, the game that's the outlier is Phillip Rivers lit them up. I mean, you look at the tape of, of what, uh, what they did, what Greg Williams did to the New Orleans Saints and, and Drew Brees, unbelievable. You look at the tape of what he did uh, against the L.A. Chargers and how Phillip Rivers took them apart, it it's, it's just doesn't compute. It's like... What's the secret sauce? How can he be so good against Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees, and then the L.A. Chargers light you up? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat him in overtime 26-23 because of the way they can throw the football. They lose to Pittsburgh on the road. They lose to Kansas City, get lit up 37-21. So in a lot of cases, it's kind of like the Bengals. If they didn't have all those takeaways, they would have given up half a hundred in a lot of those games. Hmm. They, the, the takeaways kept them in games against those teams that the Bengals didn't have takeaways against and got toasted. So I think, I think the takeaways made them more respectable, you know, in some games. And, and that's almost what happened in Baltimore. I mean, the Bengals go eight quarters against the Ravens and don't turn the ball over. They're a plus one. They had, they had uh, um, eight or seven stoppages of drives by turnover in, in fourth down stops. Seven drives the Ravens had that didn't end in a kick. That's why they beat them and came close to beating them a second time because offensively and defensively on a snap-by-snap basis, they weren't good enough to be in that football game against the Baltimore Ravens. Turnovers you know, and stops on fourth down really helped. So sometimes it prevents a blowout. <laughs> Turnovers can say, you know, it's not as bad as it could have been because you got extra possessions. Final topic, Baker Mayfield. The Cleveland Browns' 30th starting quarterback since 1999. 30! The Bengals have had nine during the same time period. But you got to know him a little bit when you were still doing Big 12 games and he was playing at Oklahoma. Yeah, and, and Bob Stoops gave me an assignment. I was doing a spring game, his first spring game there as a starter. And uh, Bob Stoops said, hey, uh, Dave, do me a favor, will you? Were you in your prep here? You know, I flew in on Friday or whatever. It was Friday morning and practices and, you know, interact with the players. And then the spring game Saturday, he said, can you try to find somebody that has a negative thing to say about Baker Mayfield. I don't care if it's offense, defense, or special teams. I mean, I went all three phases. I went 50-year seniors, true freshmen, everything in between. Not one guy had anything negative to say about Baker Mayfield. And that's the thing about Baker Mayfield. He's got swagger. 
but it's controlled swagger, you know, and, and he backs it up, and he's got tremendous leadership, and he throws the ball straight. I mean, he is accurate. He's as accurate, you know, Drew Brees is, is a unicorn with his accuracy, but Mayfield, I mean, he went 17 for 20 against Atlanta, and Chubb ran the ball down their throat. I mean, this, the Cleveland Browns throwing that Atlanta Falcon tape, they're pretty good. Atlanta's not very good, as we know, defensively, but they handled them. And uh, uh, Baker Mayfield, he's, he's a leader of men. There's no question about it. Joe Mixton, Jordan Evans, those are guys, those are guys that I talked, about, talked to for that spring game. They love them then. They love them now. Uh, Baker Mayfield is president of everything in their minds, you know, and that, that, that speaks volumes about not only the kid's tangibles, you know, with the accuracy and uh, his football intellect, but his intangibles, his leadership and all that sort of thing. He, he's the real deal. I think they, they, struck, they struck pretty good there, pretty good gold. And uh, we know, Dan, that the Bengals had him number one on their board as a quarterback because of his accuracy. In this league, you have to throw it straight, and you have to have accuracy and anticipation and put it in tight windows, not just windows, portholes, little things. And he can do that. He can do that. Plus, he can move. He can get out of trouble. You know, Lamar Jackson in the pocket, you know, with the little quick ja- uh, jackhammer feet, you know, buying time. Baker Mayfield can do that stuff. He has great pocket sense, pocket awareness. And if that dude gets out a pocket, you better make sure he's going to his left. When he gets out to his right on the run, gold. He throws on the run going to his right as accurately and as well as anybody I've seen. So you can't let him do that to you. Thanks, Lap. The Bengals' defense is struggling, to put it mildly. Next to last in points allowed, thank you, Tampa Bay. Last in yards allowed, last versus the run, next to last versus the pass. But as a result, the Bengals' offensive struggles have flown under the radar. Take away a 37-point outburst against Tampa Bay, again, the team that's dead last in points allowed, and the Bengals have not scored more than three offensive touchdowns in a game since week four in Atlanta the game where Tyler Eifert got hurt. A.J. Green's absence in the last two games has obviously been a big factor, and even though A.J. didn't practice on Wednesday, it appears likely he will be back this week. C.J. Uzama has been dealing with a sore shoulder, but has been able to play, and I spoke to the Bengals' tight end this week. In the locker room with Bengals' tight end, C.J. Uzama, what's your Thanksgiving like? Um, My Thanksgiving is eating all of my grandma's food. She uh, she's come up and cooked for me uh, the past four years, and even in college that was the case. So um, <clears throat> this year, gonna go to Gio's house. Grandma, mom, and dad are coming. Um, mom heats up some some decent stuff, but Grandma's gonna be cooking a lot of it. I'm sure Gio's um, mother-in-law will will make a little something too. But yeah, it's just Grandma's cooking all the time. Go Grandma! Oh, go Grandma! She's <laughs> she's she's the best chef I know. All right, let's talk about the Browns this week. Uh, coming off a bye, like the Ravens were last week, is that a disadvantage at this stage of the season? Um, disadvantage for for you for facing us? a fresher team. Uh, you know, anytime you get a week off, that obviously helps. You know, nicks and bruises, and uh, that held true for our team as, as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you know it gives them an extra week to prepare for us. It gives them an extra week to um, heal up a little bit, and um, obviously game plan a, little, a lot more. Um, for this for this game, uh, but I don't think I, I see that as a disadvantage for us. I, I think that you know obviously they're going to come in and um, a little fresher maybe, but you know we're coming off of a loss where we're off, so I think that kind of fuels fuels our fire a little more. 
We're talking to C.J. Uzama, looking at their defense. They're giving up a lot of yards, but they've got 25 takeaways, second best in the NFL. When you watch that on on tape, how are they getting so many takeaways? Well, I think uh, one of the things that we kind of discussed today was um, they've been in quite a few overtime games, and uh, that equates to a whole other game that they've played. So the yards that they're giving up, you know, that you can factor that into that. You can factor in. Um, that and with the takeaways as well, but you know they're flying around the ball. Um, you know, like you said, they they have a lot of turnovers, they have a lot of interceptions, a lot of forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, and you know, I think that they're just playing to the whistle. And, and you know, some people kind of get lax with the ball, and um, whether it's the quarterback making a wrong read, whether it's the receiver, you know, late in the play, just um, you know, kind of giving up on a ball, or whether it's the running runner thinking that he's going to go down and doesn't, uh, just just things like that. So we're going to have to. Make sure that we play to the whistle, play hard. Um, I mean, they fly after the ball. That's one thing that you can tell about their defenses. Um, you know, all, all 11 players, whether it's a defensive tackle running 20 yards downfield, they're, they're all trying to get after the ball. Last year, Jabril Peppers, their free safety, played so deep that sometimes you wouldn't even see him on the screen. Are they still doing a lot of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they're mixing in certain certain things like that. They, uh, It's the same, you know, same concepts. Um, and obviously we're, we're expecting them to change up um, some things because you know we have Hugh here, and uh, I'm sure some of the calls and some of the the things that they have planned. Again, that's where this extra week helps them. Um, but yeah, I mean there there are certain certain plays where you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, ten, and then the you see the back view and you're like, oh no, he's 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 back there somewhere. So the Hugh factor is real. I think for both teams. I mean, I, for for us, I mean, we want to win it for Hugh. You know, um, he was here when I was here, and I have a massive amount of respect for him and um you know i'm, I'm gonna try my best to, to win this for you know not not only the organization and for our season but for for him so um and obviously you know they they want to they want to beat their former coach so uh, i think it's i think it's it kind of holds true for for both sides um both teams last thing for cj uzama you've gone from four and one to five and five but there are five teams in the AFC tied at five and five, fighting for that final playoff spot. What is the the mindset in this room right now? Mindset is to go one and zero this week, and you know um, we know that we control our own destiny. We know that um, personally, for me, I, I know that we have the opportunity to, you know, go eleven and five, and, and uh, you have to start with this week, and you have to go one and zero this week, and you can't overlook any opponent and. Um, I think the mindset is we got to come out here and we have to assert ourselves offensively. I mean, I, I can't obviously I can't speak for the defense because I've been in a bunch of the offensive meetings, but um, I know that we we've got to we've got to do better. We've we've got to put points on the board. The way this league is going, I mean, you guys watch the Monday night game; it's it's ridiculous how many points can be scored at any time. So we know that as an offense, we have to step up and and you know we can't put our our defense in certain you know situations, and we have to be able to move the ball and score. Um, at will like like we know we're able to best of luck this week enjoy grandma's cooking thank you appreciate it cj ranks fourth on the bengals in receptions with 24 including a pair of touchdowns now time for this week's know the foe segment zach jackson covers the browns for the athletic and join dave lapham and me on the bengals game plan show i started our conversation with what seemed like an odd question considering that the browns only have four wins in the last three years. But after studying Cleveland's roster, I asked Zach if the Browns have a glaring weakness. I think in, in the secondary, they're still pretty vulnerable uh, to the pass. A lot of teams are. You guys know the feeling, right? Um, but 
The Browns' arrow is pointing up, and they're much better now that we know how low the bar was. You mentioned the recent history. But the roster is better. The vibe is better. And you look at the future, you see a bunch of guys, 23 to 25, who seem to be pretty good. They're all under contract. They're going to have more good draft picks. They're going to have more salary cap space. And if they finally have their quarterback, and if Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward are even close to as good as we think they can be, yeah, then the Browns are definitely set up, finally, maybe, for a good future. You know, it's interesting. Um, Greg Williams did a conference call with us this morning, and um, I know I know many times up there in Cleveland he's talked about um, – He's a lifer. He's a football lifer. He's talked about his coaching tree, and it's bigger than the all-outdoors. There's not a player in a, or a coach in the NFL that he hasn't coached or played, you know, played with or coached with. Or he, he's he's a funny guy that way. But I, you know, it, obviously, you, you hear the confidence, but you hear the pride too. I mean, this guy, he's all about football, isn't he? I laugh, Dave, because about five miles from my house in Akron, there's a John Heisman statue, and I say he coached with Greg, too, uh, if you listen to Greg. <laughs> but, yeah, no, um, it was obvious early on in the season that having this defense in a second year under Greg, they were going to take a leap. And I think a lot of the guys have been better than most thought, but giving him the, the chance to stick around has been a huge deal. And then, you know, with everything that went on, he becomes the interim coach, and, and guys have responded to him. So, you know, I'm not sure he's a real candidate for the job, but we don't know what's going to happen in these next six weeks. I don't know what's going to happen in the next four quarters. But Greg has, has uh, and his group have outperformed just about every expectation to this point. And whomever that new coach is, I think, is going to have to take a long look at trying to keep Greg because guys are obviously playing for him, and they've built some guys who are fit for his system. We are talking to Zach Jackson, who covers the Browns for The Athletic. Let's talk about Baker Mayfield. What does he do well at this stage of his career, and where is he still a work in progress? Well, he's super accurate. Uh, I think the most important, encouraging thing for the Browns is that Baker has been everything they advertised him to be, from accuracy, charisma, uh, guys play for him. He, He does the extra work. He does all of those things. So, you know, teams can take away his passing lanes because the height is an issue. And, you know, the offense has changed. There's a different play caller. Uh, the receiving core has been up and down, mostly down. They've, they traded their running back at midseason, all of that. Uh, they've had different guys play left tackle. So you can get to Baker by keeping him in the pocket, and he's got a long way to go um, just because, like anybody does, it's on their ninth start in the NFL. But I think the Browns are super encouraged because they, they see the traits that they believe that he has. Man, he, he has a rocket, too. So when you let him out of the pocket, he is extremely accurate. And when he has time to stand the field, he is not afraid to throw it to anybody or challenge anybody. He's shown that. Yeah, there's no doubt. I did a couple of his games when he was in college, and even in college. When he got out of the pocket, going to his right, deadly. Now to his left, and, it, you know, he's a right-handed guy, so left is a little more difficult for everybody. But he is so good thrown on the run to his right. I mean, as good as I've seen in terms of accuracy and velocity and all that. So you cannot let him escape uh, to his right. But let me ask you about this big big deal here in Cincinnati. Everybody's reacting. He was asked about, how, you know, Hugh knows so much about the offense, kind of. I, I'm paraphrasing here. Knows so much about the – is that going to be an issue for the football game on Sunday? He said no. And he was a follow-up question. He goes, no, I mean no. 
Were, were you there? Did you see, you know, all we see is the written word. What was his overall reaction? What did he look like? Was he being sorry? Was there any humor involved? Was there, What was the delivery? What was it all about? He was being Baker. He, he is built for this, and he dictates the media interviews. So he was trying to say, stop asking me the same question five different ways, but right. he was also trying to say, we have no fear. Uh, and, and guys gravitate to that. You know, I, I think he is the guy that when he's on your team, you love him. And when he's not on your team, you can't wait to see your team pound him. I think he's always been that way. I think the chip on his shoulder has helped carry him this far. And, I, you know, he just – this is his makeup. I think guys have to be genuine as the challenges get bigger. If this is what he is. He's an overcomer. He's an overachiever. So I don't know what his ceiling is. I don't know what the Browns can do to put better people around him. But, man, all things considered, it'd be hard to give him anything but an A for the work that he's done this far. I mean, they didn't even let him practice with the number ones in training camp. Right. Six weeks of training camp, the only time he played with the number ones was an emergency situation in a preseason game. And he comes in in the second quarter of a game that they're getting killed, and he just does this. And then the next week they score 35 or 38. And, I mean, so it hasn't all been great, and it won't be for any rookie. But he, he has been, like, every, every challenge he's been up for, and he's had a, two games, two and a half games, where you're like, wow, like, this guy is already a, a really good quarterback. There's no doubt he has a chip on his shoulder as big as a two-by-four. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> do, you, do you think the fact that Hugh made that decision not to even let him practice with the number ones all through training camp, do you think there was a little bit of, not ill feeling, but do you think there was a little bit of, come on, coach, you know, what's up? Yeah. What, what was the relationship like with Baker and Hugh through that? Yeah, I, I definitely think there was. I mean, he struggled in the spring because that's what rookies do, right? Their lives change, their playbooks change, everything's thrown at him. And he came to camp, and all of a sudden it was like, hey, Baker's looking like himself now. Baker's got a little swagger to him. Chance didn't come there. So, you know, Dave, I can't speak specifically on what it was, but obviously there was Haley versus Hugh, right? There was Josh Gordon. There was Tyrod to Baker. There was all of this going on, which right. has been so brown. So, yeah, so there, there were rifts. There were conflicts. But when he started playing, uh, like I said, he looked like he had been doing this forever and like he had had every opportunity. And, and it has continued that way. So the last game was his best game, and, and we'll see where he goes from there. We are talking to Zach Jackson, who covers the Browns for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Akron Jackson. I want to follow up on, on Hugh Jackson. How do the Browns players in general feel about Hugh? You know, people here have made a big deal that there wasn't much social media reaction when he was fired. But I don't think that he lost the locker room. I think guys respected him. I think what happened more than anything was that it just went bad and that he shouldn't have, have, have come back for this year. And I just think John Dorsey finally said to the Haslam, we have eight games left, and we have such a young team that we need to make this change now because these games are so important for evaluating these guys in terms of how we can compete going forward and what, what is best for these guys going forward. You know, there was, uh, at opening day, there were 31 new players on this team from last year. So I think a lot of guys never even knew Hugh Jackson, right? Some of them have been here two weeks or two months, something like that. Uh, but I just think it was time for the Browns to say, okay, we finally are building a core. We know this isn't going to work for myriad reasons. So let's just cut it off now, get evaluations out of these guys, and go forward starting in January. Greg Williams could not have been more effusive in his praise of Joe Schobert. He said maybe yeah. the, 
smartest linebacker, smartest defensive player he's ever been around. He's been around a lot of players. Just ask him. He's coached a ton of guys. <laughs> so I'm looking at the leader of the offense, Baker Mayfield, walk on Texas Tech, walk on Oklahoma. Joe Schobert sounds like the leader of the defense, walk on at Wisconsin, kind of blue collar, you know, really earning it. Is, is the Cleveland organization, is that what they want to portray, the image of it doesn't matter how these guys got here, it's what they're doing once they get here? I absolutely think so, Dave. And when you watch the Browns, whether you are a football lifer like you and Greg, it is obvious that the defense is tremendously different when Joe's in the field and when he's not. And he had played every snap in 21 straight games before he got hurt. And they're still susceptible to the big play. You know, some of that is Greg's gambling nature. Right. But when Joe wasn't in there, they were a lot more susceptible to the big play. He just is so smart and covers so much ground and is so athletic. Um, you know, he's only about 225 pounds playing middle linebacker. I think that's today's NFL. But it allows, you know, he, he stays away from the big guys and he covers a lot of ground in a hurry. And that makes him a really important pass defender and a guy who can make up grounds when they – ground when they do get fooled on a screen or something like that our thanks to zach jackson and if you love great sports writing and don't already subscribe to the athletic you should sign up or put a subscription on your christmas list in the interest of full disclosure i occasionally write for the athletic but i read it every day it has become one of the first things i check with my morning cup of coffee That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe for free on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And if you have a minute, please give it a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback is always appreciated, and five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.